following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. In section of Deuteronomy where Moses lays out a lot of detail about what it meant for them to follow God. Um, and we're not going through all that verse by verse uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but we're kind of picking out some topics. And the topic today is really the topic of Sunday school starts now. No. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. Um, spells out uh, three important roles that were to uh, lead, guide, and shape the people of Israel. So let me just read three. There's many passages that highlight these. We're not going to read them all and not even going to look at them in, in detail today. But let me just read three that represent uh, these three roles from Deuteronomy uh, 17, 18, and uh, 20. Uh, so Deuteronomy 17 begins, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then you say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, let his heart turn, uh, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And we sit, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and of these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And then from Deuteronomy 18, uh, 15, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let, not, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And then lastly, from Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. When you go out to war against your, uh, own, against your enemies, and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, and when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you the victory. 
Right, so that kind of lays out these three ideas, prophet, priest, and king. And, um, you know, we live in a, in a time and an age where it seems like um, everyone and everything is moving to crazy extremes, right? Uh, there just seems to be no, no balance in perspective. And that uh, we just see society as a whole, but even, even oftentimes among Christians and among churches, people moving to these crazy extremes of, of points of view. Uh, and I think, I don't, I, don't, I don't think COVID has caused this, but certainly COVID has kind of brought out um, how this works, right? And so, uh, for example, take vaccinations. Should you get, a vac- get vaccinated or not get vaccinated? Uh, it's crazy. There's, um, there's people who, uh, who will not get vaccinated for anything. In fact, uh, Mike was telling me of a story he heard where somebody was a, a candidate needed to get a, an organ transplant, but they couldn't get it because they refused to be vaccinated. And they said, I would rather die than get vaccinated. It's like, yeah, and you're going to, right? Uh, like, really, is it, is it, you know, but that's kind of one extreme. And then you got the other extreme of people who are now getting their 15th booster shot, right? They've got Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Sinopharm, Sinovac, 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 that. I mean, everything, right? They're getting them all, right? It's just like these extremes from one end to the other. And you see with crazy things like masks in churches, you know, and uh, maybe not so much in Thailand, but in other parts of the world, pastors are telling their members, and I saw this. This is a, a legit news article I saw. A pastor was telling his church members if they wore masks anywhere, not just in church, but if they ever wore a mask anywhere, they were at risk of going to hell. So who knew that your salvation is somehow tied up in wearing or not wearing a mask, right? Uh, of course, then you've got others who, who uh, churches who are preaching the gospel of masks, that if you don't wear a mask all the time, you are full of hate and murder. You're guilty of murder, right? Just these extremes, you know, uh, that people take on all these issues. And we go on about so many issues where people are so divided and, and so extreme. And I think the reasons for this is su- super complex, and I, I don't want to oversimplify the problem uh, of, of why people are, are uh, so out of balance and why they go to such crazy extremes. But I, I do believe one problem is that uh, more and more people are listening only to one kind of voice, right? They, they, and and uh, social media has actually made this more possible because, uh, you know, they've got these Logarithms. You don't know how this works. You need to know this. When you click or like certain things or search certain things, it builds um, it, it builds a, a custom menu for you that directs you more and more and more in that direction. And the more you go down that path, the more it filters content uh, to um, line up with your your idea, right? And so you just get this very narrowing of perspective, and it's causing people to really uh, lack kind of a broad perspective of life, right? And so, uh, so people are becoming more narrow in their perspective, more limited in their uh, acceptance of other ideas, and more extreme in how they live life. And what we see in Deuteronomy is that um, uh, this, this was a, not just a risk of the modern world, but it was a risk for people way back then, right? That they could have only one voice speaking into their life and that could cause their whole, all of Israel uh, to be out of balance, to lose perspective, and to, uh, to not really live in their community in a way that was healthy. And so 
Uh, as we see in, in this section of Deuteronomy, there were to be three kinds of voices that would bring balance, right? And so these, these were voices that were to have uh, influence in leading, guiding, and shaping uh, the thought and, and actions and behavior of Israel as a whole. And they needed all of these voices speaking to keep things in the right balance and perspective. And that was the voice of the prophet, the voice of the priest, and the voice of the king. Um, and so we want to look this morning at what uh, the role of each of these is and, um, and why it's necessary even now to have all three of these voices firing in our life, right? Uh, we, we need these, even, even today. And we're going to talk about we don't really necessarily have kings and priests so much anymore, but uh, what, what kind of the, the church version of this. And uh, as, we, as we go through this, um, I believe that really even the spiritual gifts could be divided broadly into these three categories. So as we talk about these, it's, it's, it will be helpful for you to think, which, which one of these do I most likely gravitate to? Like, which is the voice that is really my voice and the, and the way I am gifted way that I seek to influence others, but then be aware of, of others, those other voices, right? other gifts. And how can we, as churches, um, be allowing all of these voices to have uh, influence in our life, to be listening so that we don't become so narrow that um, <laughs> we end up like, like so many ministries and people and churches in the world, right? So, so, so narrow in our perspective, that we're missing uh, the balance and wholeness and maturity that God calls us to. Uh, so let's, let's uh, first start by just uh, looking at these voices that shape us, right? And the first voice uh, is the voice of the prophet, prophet, priest, and king, the prophet voice. What is the prophet voice? Well, as we read already in Deuteronomy 18, uh, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you, for you a prophet like me from among you, uh, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you have desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when he said, let not me hear again these voices um, or see uh, this great fire anymore. So if you remember when they were at Horeb, um, God came down on the mountain and the people gathered at the bottom and God spoke to them directly. Uh, now, we, I don't know, I think this would be pretty cool. I, wouldn't you like to have experienced that? Like God himself speaking. But actually, as it turns out, it wasn't all that enjoyable of an experience, right? The people said, no, we, we don't, it's too much. Like God is too awesome. He's, he's too terrifying. And so they said, we, we need somebody to speak in between, an intermediary, somebody between us and God, a messenger, right? And, and God said, that's actually right. That's a good thing. And, and, and he honored that they, they had this sense of awe at who God was. And so God appointed Moses really as the first, uh, not actually the, the first prophet, but in, in many respects the, the first national prophet who was the, the voice or the mouth of God. Right. So God spoke to Moses and then Moses would take that message uh, to the people. Uh, and, and he wasn't making up his own things when he wrote uh, these first five, first five books of the Bible. Moses never claimed, well, I just had this great idea. I'm going to invent this religion. No, he, he received all of this from God and then communicated it to the people. So a prophet is essentially one who speaks the words of God. And he speaks the words of God. And therefore, 
you're to listen with great diligence because it's not just his ideas or opinions. It's God speaking through this messenger. And, and as such, they, they primarily declared the will and purpose of God. Right? Uh, they call people to turn back to God, to repent and to follow him. Uh, and in this passage in Deuteronomy uh, 17, it talks about the true and false prophets. Verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So it was really important that a prophet was one who, who really heard the words of God. And that word presume, he says, that it's not somebody who just presumes. And presumption here is the idea that they have this arrogant assumption that they know what God is saying. Say that again. An arrogant assumption that they know what God is saying. Have you ever had people talk to you who's come up to you and say, God told me to tell you. Right? It's like, eh, right? Um, that, maybe, maybe they have that prophetic gift, but oftentimes it's just this arrogant assumption that they know God's purpose and will. Right? And that's not what a true prophet is. Uh, but it's one who actually stands in the presence of God and hears God speak. So Jeremiah 23, 21, speaking of false prophets and true prophets, says this, uh, uh, speaking again for God. Okay, so Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Right, so, so God says, look, uh, there are plenty of people out there claiming to speak for me. But the real test of a true prophet is one who, who spends time standing in the counsel of God, spends time in God's presence, and is hearing God speak. And he's communicating uh, what he has received from God. Um, what we see in the Old Testament, when God spoke, spoke through his prophets, he generally sought uh, either repentance so often the, the prophets are calling people to turn back to God, repent from their evil ways and follow him. Right? They're calling him back to uh, obedient, uh, obedience to God as he's revealed himself in his word. Uh, but they also uh, have a ministry of renewed trust or comfort. Uh, so you see that in the, in the Psalms, I mean in the uh, uh, servant passages of Isaiah, encouraging people to draw near to God. Uh, but also, uh, the, the, the prophets op- often called people to specific action. So Deborah, as a judge and also as a prophet, uh, called uh, uh, Israel to go to war. Right? And said, God, God's com- commanding you uh, to go and conquer these enemies. Uh, or uh, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied, prophesied to the is- people of Israel not to go to Egypt. So sometimes... This prophecy can be very specific to a, a given circumstance or, or event. And so the tradition of prophets is, is huge throughout the Old Testament. They were uh, often advisors to the king. So a little bit later we'll see the relationship of, of the prophet to the king. And oftentimes they were advisors, important advisors to the king. Unless, of course, the kings were ungodly. And then they were mostly a thorn in the flesh of the king. Right? They were the ones opposing the king. And, and, and calling the kings to repent and turn back to a more godly lifestyle. Um, oftentimes, uh, there was this expectation for the prophets to speak about the future. 
And oftentimes we think of prophecy in those terms as somebody who tells us the future. But their role wasn't so much predicting the future as it was uh, about calling forth repentance in the present and, and telling what would happen if they didn't do that, right? So our current choices, if they didn't repent, if they didn't follow God, there would be consequences in the future, right? So they're not so much uh, calling out this fatalistic, predetermined set of, of future events as saying, look, you control the future now by the choices you make. Right? So calling them to repentance and to walk in obedience to God's will. Right, so if we could summarize the prophet, uh, all of this up in just a couple of sentences, we could say it this. The main role of the prophet is, is proclaiming God's word. Right? Calling people to a, a life that is firmly anchored in, in obedience to the word. Teaching them what God has declared and what he's called them to and how they can live in obedience to him. Right? That's the, the main role or calling of the prophet. Uh, but then there was also to be the voice of the priest. Right? Uh, now the priest, uh, as it's described throughout the Pentateuch, throughout the first five books, especially in, in like Leviticus and Numbers, uh, calls out the role of the priest as the one who would make atonement. Right? And this is specifically related to the high priest who would enter once a year into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of God was, uh, was situated, the very presence of God. And they would go in with the blood of a bull and they would sprinkle that blood before the mercy seat and they would make atonement. In other words, they would deal with the people's sins and through atonement they would clear and bring clean, uh, holiness and, and forgiveness so that the people could stand uh, pure, forgiven, cleansed in the presence of this holy God. But what's interesting, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, there, there's really no mention of that at all. Only one brief allusion to them making atonement in a case where somebody was murdered out in a field and he didn't know who it was. And the priest was to come and they were to sacrifice a bull to make atonement for that murder. But that's the only reference in the whole book of Deuteronomy of the priest making atonement. And so what we see in the book of Deuteronomy is more of the everyday role of the priest, right? So the, the thing of making an atonement was a once-a-year uh, moment uh, reserved only for the high priest. But what about all the rest of them who were priests? Well, they also had a, a function or a role in the daily life of the nation. Uh, and, and we see that spelled out um, uh, in a number of ways. Uh, we see them called on to decide cases and settle disputes. Uh, and it really emphasizes their role in daily life as kind of a counselor or a guide. So they were somebody you would go to and you would consult with with questions or problems or disputes. Right? Um, but, but the most fascinating role of the priest in Deuteronomy is the passage I read in uh, chapter 20. Uh, and it's in reference to going out to war. Right? It says, when you go out to war against your enemies... And you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own. Turn and run. No, that's not what it says, actually. Right? It says, no, you shall not be afraid of them. Uh, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, what happens? It says, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people 
and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Do not uh, let your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies uh, to give you the victory. So, uh, in this sense, the, the priest is really kind of a cheerleader. Like, right? like he's not the one putting on the sword and the armor. Uh, he's not going into battle. But he's cheering them on. Go, right? You can do this. Only actually, that's not what he's saying. right? He's not actually saying you can do this. Uh, because encouragement that he gives is not you can do this. You've got this. Right? That's kind of what uh, kind of a worldly cheerleader would do. But really what he's saying is, God will do this. God's got this. Right? Don't fear, not because you need to believe in yourself, but you need to have faith in God. God's got this. He's promised, right? And God will give you success. So if we can summarize the voice of the prophet, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the, the voice of the priest, uh, it's really the role uh, of, of that of a shepherd, right? Uh, in the day-to-day life of the Israelites. One who would give counsel and guidance, who would encourage them to face the battles ahead with faith in God. Uh, equipping the people to live by faith in what God is going to do in their midst. Right? Uh, so you've got the prophet, uh, the priest, and finally the king. Of course, the king uh, is, is super important, although uh, for, for, for many generations, uh, Israel actually lived without a king. Uh, and that was because ultimately God was to be their king, right? Uh, and and there's a little bit of conflict between Deuteronomy and later in uh, Samuel where the people call for a king and God uh, actually rebukes them for their request. But in Deuteronomy, it's definitely allowed and, and, and actually predicted. Uh, and uh, clearly God uh, makes this possible, right? That they needed a king. And actually... Uh, up until uh, Saul and David, they, they did have leaders. And they really were the, the role or function of the judges. So we can also talk about the judges in this section. But really the judges filled the role of the king, right? Just without uh, maybe all the glitz and glory and glamour, uh, which kind of fit more the biblical model, as we'll see, of what a leader was to be. Um, so, so obviously the king is, is the voice of a ruler, um, the guy in charge, uh, a leader is ultimately, my favorite definition of leadership, right? A leader is uh, someone people follow, right? And, and like they say, you know, a leader who's, who's going out on a mission with no one following him is just a lonely guy on a hike, right? Just a lonely guy on a walk by himself, right? Leaders have this ability to somehow inspire people to get behind them and follow them to rally behind them uh, on the mission that they are about. And it's always been kind of mind-boggling to me how this worked in ancient times. And, you know, in ancient times, they just fought all the time, right? Uh, there, there really wasn't a season in history where one nation wasn't conquering another nation and back and forth. And that was certainly true of Israel. They were constantly engaged in wars. Uh, and, and for them, it really was an option to just say, you know, we're, we're, we're Quakers, <laughs> We're, we're pacifists. We don't believe in war. Like if you took that stance, you just got run over, right? 
You just, it's like, okay, this, is, this makes it a lot easier for the conquering nation if you just lay down and, and, and be passive, right? You, you, you were, it's just the way it was back then. But what I think fascinating about this is that there were these leaders who could inspire tens of thousands of people to march off with them into war, right? And, and these had to be some pretty remarkable, uh, some, some pretty remarkable leaders. Uh, Alexander the Great, uh, really what made him great wasn't that he was necessarily such a brilliant strategist or general, although he probably was. But what's impressive is he got so many people to just follow him. Like, I'm going to go off and conquer the world. Who's in, right? Who's in? And thousands of people said, yeah, let's go. And, and um, you know, we're not talking about playing cards here. We're talking about, like, killing people or getting killed. This is highly risky business. And yet people followed these guys. Um, well, why did they follow them? Well, certainly uh, a good king, a good leader has to have a vision, right? They have to have some and inspire that vision in, in other people that, yes, we can conquer the world. Yes, we can win. Yes, we can be successful. And they paint a vision for that that people can own and get behind. But it's more than just vision. Uh, we see that really good le- leaders are people in whom... Others feel a great sense of loyalty, right? Um, they, they are loyal to their leaders. They would actually die for their king. Um, so uh, what, what is it that gives a good king in the biblical sense this kind of uh, quality that people would follow them, that they would trust them, that they would be loyal to them? Uh, well, Deuteronomy 17, it says, You may indeed set a king over you, uh, whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers, you shall set over you. Uh, there's a sense that uh, he is one of them, right? And so for the kings of Israel, maybe not like kings of the world, but for the kings of Israel, they were to be like a brother. Uh, they were to be one of them. And in addition, it says in verse 16, uh, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to acquire horses. Uh, You shall not return that way again. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest he turn away. Or shall he acquire uh, for himself excessive gold or silver. So we see that a a good leader in Israel was to be a king who could be trusted. And that trust would base not on military power for things like horses and and, uh, strong alliances. By By the way, the reason kings had a lot of wives in those days... Uh, it's not just because they were, um, you know, attracted to, to, to ladies. I mean, what it came down to is building alliances. And, uh, you know, if, if, if your enemy became your father-in-law, uh, it, it's less likely that he'll attack you, right? So you would marry people from different countries, these girls from different countries, to form alliances through marriage, right? Uh, and so, so they were to be trusted not because of military power, not because of strong alliances, but because they trusted in the power of God. Right? Israel's leaders were to have a strong trust in God. Uh, not because they're so wealthy, that they're so far above everyone else. But they were to be more like the people. And not because of their own wisdom or opinion. Right? Uh, and in fact, they were to be, uh, as it says in the rest of chapter uh, 17, they were to be people of the word. We talked about this last week. They were to write a copy of the word 
And they were to keep the word of the law and his statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left. Right, so what we see is these are men who were strong leaders who inspired people to follow them by their vision, but also by their character, right, by the kind of people they were. Uh, I think uh, that, that's the biblical model. Uh, however, I do think the world would do well to pay attention to this, this point. Leaders should be people of character, not just vision. Right? They should be people of character. Uh, but somehow that's gotten uh, lost. Right? Uh, we're not choosing leaders of character anymore. Um, one of the great examples, of course, the classic and perfect example is in the Old Testament is, uh, and, and really the ideal king was, of course, King David, uh, who embodied this so well. And people followed David. They loved David. Uh, even before he was king, people came to him because they believed in his leadership and they believed in where he was going. Even, uh, even Saul's son, Jonathan, who was heir to the throne, saw something in David that he loved and was drawn to. And even Jonathan followed David. Uh, he, uh, so, so David, we see, ruling not from, first from a place of position, but from his own character. And you see this picture so well in his uh, early conflict with Goliath, right? Before he's anybody. He's just this shepherd kid, right? But notice... Notice his heart and his vision and what motivates David. Samuel, 1 Samuel 17:26. And David said to the men who stood by, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David is all fired up not because of anything about himself, but he is fired up about God's glory. Who is this Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? And then it continues on in verse 37. And David said, uh, when he's talking with Saul about you know, how he's going to have victory, right? David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Right? So you see David's great confidence and trust in God to deliver him. And finally, when he goes out to face Goliath, uh, in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut you off, cut off your head. And I will give your, uh, the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I want to go fight with David, right? I mean, here's a guy who's got courage and bravery, but not in his own ability. He's trusting God, right? And he inspired people. And you could see why people wanted to follow David. Um, so, so this is how we could summarize a king, right? A king is a leader who inspires loyalty and devoted followers because he's got the right vision for God's glory and honor, not his own. And by the right personality and character, a man of faith and humility living in submission to God's word. Right? So those are, the, those are the voices, prophet, priest, and king. 
Uh, but you see why these are important and how these three voices really uh, work together to shape and lead the nation um, when it came time for, uh, for battle, when it, when it came time for the people to join together in a mission. So this is how it would work. Uh, uh, and, and you think about this really in the context of going to war. The prophet is the one who would declare God's will and purpose, right? If you're going to go to war, you need to know, is this war God's call or is it something else? And what we see the prophets oftentimes saying is, the reason you have enemies is because of your own sin. Right? You shouldn't be going to war. You should be confessing. Right? The reason you have these problems is because you are not repenting and following God. And actually, it's God sending these enemies as judgment on you. Right? So it's important to know if you're going to go into battle. Like, is this enemy uh, sent by God as judgment? Or is this an enemy that God is calling us? It is his will and purpose for us to go out and fight. I don't know about you, but before I put on the sword, I would want to know which one of those it is, right? And so the prophet's the one who would declare God's purpose, right? They would speak God's truth into this, this conflict or this battle or this struggle. And they would tell the future. They would tell who would, who would win or lose. But again, it's not just because they knew the future. It's because they understood uh, what happens if you obey God and what happens if you disobey God, right? So I would want to know, like, am I walking in truth? Am I walking in, in obedience to God's word as he's declared it through the voice of the prophets? Or am I missing something, right? Am I missing something? Am I doing this in my own strength? So that was the role of the prophet when it came to, to battles. And so they were advisors to the king. And you see throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes the king's asking um, the prophets, should we go to battle? There's some great examples of this in, in Kings and Chronicles. And some of the kings and the prophets like Jeremiah told them, yeah, sure, go to battle if you want to die. You're an idiot and you're sinful, right? And this is God's judgment on you. And the kings would say, well, we don't like that prophet. Anybody else? <laughs> Any other prophets out there? And they would try to find the prophets who told them what they wanted to hear, right? So then there's the king, right? Obviously, uh, once the prophet has declared God's purpose and will, it's the job of the king to rally the troops and get people together, to give them focus and a clear purpose, and uh, to inspire them together to go into battle based on God's will. And it's important to note that without that kind of strong leadership, there was little hope of success no matter how much the prophets proclaimed this was God's will and purpose. Right? Um, there's a need for leaders. There's a need for someone who, who draws people to follow and who organizes and orders them and uh, sets them in the right direction. And that was the role of the king. Right? Uh, but then there was the voice of the priest. Right? So the prophet has spoken, this is God's will. The king's rallied the troop and he's got them all assembled and they march out to meet the enemy and they see the enemy and everybody's like, oh, buddy, you didn't tell us there was that many of them, right? You didn't tell us that, you know, we have little tiny swords and they have horses and chariots, right? You didn't tell us that this was an impossible battle. And so the priest would come along with the voice of encouragement, helping everyone keep their faith in God and reminding them that it was God who would fight the battle. 
They just needed to walk out in obedience. And God would bring victory and success. Right? To remember that no matter how impossible it looked, no matter how much worse the enemy was than they thought, God's got this. Right? And so all three of those voices came together to lead them in, uh, in a mission that would be successful. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we, we don't have kings and, and uh, priests and prophets so much anymore, but, but, but these roles are still vitally important voices uh, in, in, the, in, in any healthy life or ministry or church, right? Um, and, and one of the first principles that we can take out of this is that no one is a one-man show, right? No, nobody is a one-man show. And, and oftentimes we look at great leaders, uh, and, and they, good leaders do this, right? Good leaders draw people to them. Um, but oftentimes we, we mistakenly think that good leaders can do it all, right? But God has not organized or gifted the body in that way, right? Um, nobody is a one-man show. Uh, and... and and it's true that we don't have kings and prophets and priests anymore, at least not, not by dress, right? Good leaders don't wear robes and have crowns anymore, right? Um, Instead, so they have, I don't know what they have, bigger desks or corner offices. I don't know what they have now. Um, it's different. Uh, but those roles are still there. Uh, new labels with the same role. And so we need leaders who inspire people to loyalty and to follow God, with a clear vision for God's glory and not their own. So if, if you feel like you have gifting in this area as a leader, right? are you being a leader who is inspiring people to follow you or who is inspiring people to follow Christ? Right? Uh, are you promoting your own vision for your own self-glory or are you promoting a vision for God's glory and ultimately his vision for his kingdom? And most importantly, are you a leader who has the right kind of character, the humility to lead as one who's submitted to God's word, right? And who's not exalting himself above other people, right? Not, not, not for your own success and fame and wealth, but uh, leaders who are servant leaders who are humble, right? Uh, we need those people, um, and we need them because they need to, to get people to join together in an organized way to fulfill God's vision and mission for his church. Right? And, and it's interesting, in, in the modern, kind of postmodern world, there's this uh, move among many uh, church planters and, and Christians that leaders are bad. Now, it's true there are many bad leaders, but leadership in itself is not wrong or evil or bad. But uh, some people want the church to be leaderless. Right? There's whole kind of ways of doing church planting that it kind of emphasizes this leaderless kind of church. Right? But I'll tell you what you get when you have a leaderless group. What you have is a school of fish. Have you ever seen these schools of fish? They're amazing. These, they have these hundreds or thousands of fish in the ocean. And they just have this amazing unity. Right? It's like they all just turn in unison, right? You ever seen these pictures? There could be thousands of them. It's fascinating, right? And some people have this idea like this should be the church, just this amazing unity where we just all turn together, right? But one thing about those schools of fish, they're not going anywhere, right? They have no direction. They just 
do this all day long. Right? They're not actually going anywhere. Right? And that's what happens when you have a church without good leadership. Right? You may have great unity. You may have a lot of people who are gathered around and they feel good about each other. But you will never go anywhere. Right? Because we need leaders to organize and direct us and help us move forward. Um, we need teachers and preachers. And, and, and the truth is that oftentimes people who are strong in teaching and preaching are not necessarily uh, keen kind of leaders. Now, because people who teach are in front, uh, they're often identified as leaders. And there is a kind of leadership when you are a teacher. You, you have influence, right? And you do lead through teaching, through the word. And we see that with the prophets uh, who oftentimes had quite large followings. Um, but their role is not so much giving people direction and organizing as it is calling people to the word. Right? People who are gifted in teaching and preaching, uh, uh, instructing others. Right? They're calling people to a life firmly anchored to the word of God. Uh, calling people to what God has declared, what God's will and purpose is. Right? Uh, so maybe you have this gifting. Maybe you're one who's good at teaching and, and, and drawing people to the Word. And this can happen uh, in large settings like this, but it can happen uh, often one-on-one. Uh, -on -one, right? You don't have to have a, a large audience or be a preacher necessarily to have this gifting. Right? But it's somebody who knows how to speak God's Word into people's lives. Right? And oftentimes this happens most effectively one-on-one. -on -one, right? It's those people who know how to rebuke and correct. Right? Who, who know how to speak God's truth into situations and God's knowledge, God's wisdom. Right? So maybe in meetings it's that person who never says anything. But then out of the blue they'll say something uh, and they'll bring Scripture to light. It just changes everything. Right? That's a person with that kind of gifting. And we need those people. Right? Uh, to speak God's word and truth into situations. And then finally, we, need, we do need uh, what I would call shepherds, the role of the priest, shepherds, counselors and encouragers. And maybe you're gifted in this area, uh, the voice and role of one who is, who is a shepherd in, in people's day-to-day -day lives, giving counsel and guidance, encouraging people to not give up, right? to not get discouraged, to keep our faith in God, right? Inspiring people to see how God's going to work in their midst. Um, and, and what's important is, is to see that we need to seek balance in allowing all these voices to be having influence in our lives and in our ministries. And here's what happens. Uh, and this is how we get so single focused, right? Uh, hopefully, as I kind of survey these, you, you know which one of these you identify with most, Right. Are you the word kind of person? Are you the leader kind of person? Are you the encourager kind of person? And what, ha what tends to happen is uh, we, we can start to think that because I'm a word person, everybody should be a word person. After all, it's the Bible, right? Let's, let's hold up the Bible, right? And so we, we start to not value people who don't see it like us, right? And um, uh, it just doesn't work. Right? This doesn't work well at all. We need all three of these voices. Uh, and we see that this is why so many churches end up really quite out of balance. Right? Uh, a ministry or a church that's focused only on teaching the Bible will be super anchored to the Word. 
But if you only teach and never actually go out on a mission, like if you don't ever have anybody actually lead you to go out and do something with it, you will not be successful. Right? And, and unfortunately, a lot of churches are that way. There's, that's all they do is teach the Word, but they don't ever actually do anything. Right? Because they've lost that voice of, of the leader who's inspiring them to a vision to reach out to the lost people around them. Right? He's calling people out. He's organizing, ordering people. Right? And they think just preaching the Word is enough. But just preaching the Word is not enough. Right? You have to do something with it. It must be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Um, likewise, a ministry built solely on encouraging people will make people feel good about themselves, make people feel confident and inspired and, 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 and not depressed, right? But oftentimes it fails to see lives transformed because it's the Word that transforms us, right? It's not enough to just have people who like themselves but aren't being changed. And how many churches do that, right? How many churches preach this message of God loves you, be encouraged, you know, life's hard, but God's caring for you? Important words, right? We need those encouragers. But we also need the prophet who's coming on telling you, well, you should be discouraged. You're a sinner. Right? Confess, repent, right? Then the, then the encourager comes along and says, well, it's okay, you know, repent and I'll encourage you, right? We need both those voices. Uh, but unfortunately, too many ministries are built around uh, encouragement, but they're not really transforming lives. They're just making people feel good. And likewise, you see churches built uh, only on the charisma and talent of a great leader. And certainly, these churches are on a mission. This is the purpose-driven church, right? They're on a mission. They've got strong leaders who are all about mission. But unfortunately, if it's only the charisma of a leader without those other two voices... More often than not, they're on a, on a mission of worldly success, not a mission to fulfill God's kingdom calling. Because they have no idea what God's kingdom calling is, right? Because there's no prophetic voice speaking to them about what God's purpose and call is in their life, right? Um, so you got this extreme. You know, churches and church planting models with no leaders, uh, where they're like this school of fish going nowhere, all the way to the other extreme of these mega churches with uh, very talented, charismatic leaders who are very successful at gathering huge crowds, but are, are, are having zero impact in transforming people to be Christ-like. Right? In order for this to work, we need all three of these voices. Right? We need the prophet upholding the word. We need the king leading us on a mission. And we need uh, the priest, the shepherd, encouraging us along the way. <clears throat> so it's important that you know your own style and your own voice. But it's even more important that you, in your own personal life, in your ministries and in our church, that uh, we are intentional about making sure we have key people with all three of these voices right, to, to help us keep... Uh, the broadest possible perspective. But let me close with this. Um, we, uh, I believe, all have, and certainly every church, every ministry should have all three of these going. And God calls us with different gifts for this reason. Um, but ultimately, the point of this is not that we would be these things. 
Right? They are ultimately fulfilled and supremely fulfilled in Jesus. And while it's true that none of us is all three, Jesus is. Right? And I just want to end by uh, reading some scriptures that uh, show us how Jesus fulfilled these roles as prophet, priest, and king. Right? So I'm not going to really explain them. I'm just going to read through them. But just listen and follow along. And let, let these scriptures just speak to you about Jesus, who, who is it all. Right? He is the whole thing. Um, first, Jesus the prophet. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. Acts 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then Jesus is our priest. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews 7. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews 8. Now the point uh, in, in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne, the majesty in heaven. Uh, which, by the way, could also be taken as a king verse, right? Uh, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 6, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
The reason I throw that in is because Melchizedek was not a priest of Aaron, but he was a priest who was a king. Right? And so Jesus is a priest. He's also the king. So the last section, Jesus our king. Matthew 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. John 18, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, Yes, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In John 19, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And uh, uh, Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus in Matthew. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put this charge against him which reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. In Ephesians, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, and put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Please join me as we... uh...
respond in prayer. Dear gracious and loving Father, we do come before you. We are so filled with thankfulness because of you, who you are and what you've done. God, we love being together, but this is not primarily a time of fellowship. This is primarily a time of corporate worship. We acknowledge that you are our all in all. And we bow down in worship of you. And today we want to thank you for those who you have brought into our lives who point us towards you. Thank you for those who speak truth and who prompt us towards action on your behalf. Help us to be humble to hear these things. Thank you for those who call and prompt us towards a life of righteousness, for those who direct our eyes towards you, who remind us who you are, who remind us to trust in you, who encourage your people. And thank you, God, for the excellent leaders you have provided for us, leaders who have given vision and who raised the bar high, leaders who love and leaders who serve, and above all, leaders who are faithful to you, leaders who are bold and leaders who are humble, and leaders who desire above all to exalt your name. God, there are so many voices in this world, and we thank you for the ones that cut through all of the <clears throat> the rotten stuff that surrounds us. And their words ring true because they follow you. God, today we mostly, though, want to hear your voice. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the giver of life. You are justice and you are mercy and your words are perfect and true. Your words are wise and good and your words give hope and purpose. Draw us to your words, God. Draw us to you that we might reflect you in all we think and all we do and say. Whatever you desire for us, that's what we want. May you be glorified, God. We love you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.